Uh, it is good to see y'all this morning. We're, we're going to launch into uh, the Christmas season. And being raised a Baptist, we're not known for like formal things. And we're not known for heavy, you know, liturgy. Like uh, I had a cousin was Episcopal and he would say, oh, this Sunday is smoking bells. I said, what's that? He said, they come down out with these things, you know, incense burning, smoking bells and all this stuff. So I, I don't know much about that. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying, I, I, I don't know. I'm uncultured. I'm a redneck from South Carolina. What can I do? And, uh, but, but in the Advent season, I'm going to take a sip of water. In the Advent season, there are four words that, 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 that we kind of emphasize. You've seen those candles, the Advent candles, they're called love, peace, and joy. And I'm going to take them in that order. It doesn't matter the order. You can do anything you want because, again, it's man-made. But these are four themes about Jesus coming. He came to give us hope. He came to bring, show us the love of God. He came to bring us peace with God and the peace of God. And he also came... To bring joy. The Holy Spirit comes. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit is to have joy. And today we're going to look at hope. And that's why you saw that little tutorial uh, about the word hope. We're going to do one of those each week on each of those words. Uh, Pastor Andy uh, has those and, and showed them to me. They're great. Um, so I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Matthew 12. And so we're talking about these holy days that are here. We we talked about, uh, we're still running on that theme, Second Corinthians 9.15. Praise be to God for his indescribable gift. And the gift is, of course, our salvation is Christ, in Christ. But today we're talking about hope, this Christmas gift that he brings us of hope. And in Matthew 12, and just keep your finger there. We'll read it in a minute. He's quoting an Old Testament passage. I'm reading it out of the New Testament because the New Testament kind of defines the Old Testament for us. And instead of the way the Old Testament says it, in the New Testament, they use a, a, a little bit of a different word to give the full meaning of what God was telling us in the Old Testament. And I'm grateful for that. One of my bookmarks today is an envelope that says IMB. That stands for International Mission Board. We start taking up our money, we give a special offering once a year as a Southern Baptist church uh, to help missionaries around the world through Southern Baptist. This is over and above your tithe. This is over and above anything else they get. And uh, I'm making a commercial. I didn't mean to do it now, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, we, we have a high goal set for our church of, I think, $60,000. So I, I, I would just encourage you to, to give to that because every dollar you give, a dollar plus interest, goes directly to the missionaries. Of all the money that is sent to the Southern Baptist Convention, 3% of it is spent on overhead. 75% of it is spent on missions. This, 100 plus percent is spent on missions because it goes into interest-bearing accounts and is only used as needed directly for the missionaries. So it's a, a little bit different, and we encourage you giving to that. It keeps our missionaries on the field. So just putting that out there, I think the, things, the, the envelopes are in your pews. I, I want to talk a little bit about hope. I, I remember as a kid, Christmas was special. And in my house, it was special for a lot of the right reasons. But, you know, as a kid also, uh, you, you, we exchange gifts at Christmas, right? Yeah, I, I hope you all do that. Uh, uh, and if you need my sizes, I'll send them to you. But um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but, but there was something special because I, I grew up poor and I didn't know it. Now, we weren't poor, poor, but we were poor enough. I didn't know we were poor until like this past year. My sister said something to me. She said, you know, we, we never had 
when we didn't have meat, we always had dry beans. I said, no, that's not true. She said, yes, it is. I said, but we had dry beans all the time. She said, I know. When mom and dad couldn't afford meat, they fed us dry beans. If you don't know what dry beans are, ask your grandparents. But um, they're, they're delicious. They're wonderful. I said, no, we had meat with them. She goes, what kind of meat? And I thought I went, pig's tail. She went, yeah, exactly. We, we were poor, guy. I didn't know we were poor, you know. But so Christmas was when we got that gift my parents couldn't afford just when I wanted it. You know, you want that bicycle in the spring when you can ride it, not in December when it's too cold or whatever outside, right? And so Christmas time was always a time where as a kid, you got that special gift that mom and dad couldn't afford year round. In fact, how many of y'all had a Christmas club at your bank? When you're, yeah, see, only the older folks are raising their hand to this. You put in, you just decide, I don't know what the banks did with all that money. Maybe they made interest, I don't know. But but you would establish a Christmas club. You put $5 a week in there. And then around November, you'd pull it out and you go buy all the Christmas gifts you're going to buy. It's a great idea. Dave Ramsey teaches about everything, right? So, uh, but, but you could do that. And anticipation built and built and built and built until, oh my goodness, tomorrow morning. Santa Claus is coming. Ah, that excitement, man, that anticipation. And you just knew beyond knowing, beyond knowing that what you asked for is going to be out there, right? See, sometimes there, of course, we understand. I, I don't want to bring the whole room down. That's why we do Christmas boxes. We're doing something to help people who, who don't get that. But, but I want to say anticipation makes the payoff greater. I mean, we live in a time now where... If I want something, I can pull out my phone, go to Amazon, order it, and it'll be at my house tomorrow. I, I mean, almost anything I want to order, I can do that. And so we live in a time of instant gratification. I mean, I've seen people stand in front of a microwave going, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, you know. I mean, my mom used to buy raw vegetables and she had to prepare them and soak them and, you know, talk about dry beans. It wasn't opening a can, brother. It was, you got to look the beans, make sure no bugs left in them. And then you got to put them in a pot and let them soak for 24 hours. Then you got to cook them, you know. It took forever to make a meal. And now we just microwave it, open it up, whatever. And we live in a time of, of quick gratification and it's bled over even into, into things that, that it shouldn't. I mean, there are some things that we ought to wait on. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I know this sounds kind of out, but I, I'm just going to take this. This is called a teaching opportunity. I, I counsel young people that are about to get married, of course, to do their wedding. And so many times they, they've already uh, pretended like they were married. So you know what I'm talking about. And, and, and sometimes they're even living together. Did you know the suicide rate, suicide rate, sorry, the divorce rate. <laughs> wow. Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. The divorce rate, I don't even know where that came from. Uh, oh, man, I, getting old is rough. I'm done. Um, getting older. But anyway, the, the divorce rate among people who live together before marriage is twice as much as those who do not. Do you know that? And, and because the, well, you know, you got you to gotta know whether you're compatible and all that. No, you got to know it's the will of God. That's what you got to know. Because if you get married in the will of God, because of the will of God, divorce is no longer an option. And whatever the problem, you got to work it out. And so I don't understand, you know, and listen, some of y'all may have done that. I'm not, I'm not yelling at anybody. I'm not judging anybody. God, you know, I try to help these folks. I try to encourage them. 
Uh, in fact, by the time I finish explaining it, the girl is, is uh, uh, distraught and the boy is mad because I've just ruined his future. And she's going, oh my goodness, never thought about that. It breaks trust. It breaks a lot of things. The anticipation, this is what creates the desire, the need for marriage. And now it's just, well, you know, whatever, it's fine, right? And so people live together for years and then they get married and that happens. You may have a lot of reasons for that, but, but we, we, we kind of let things go and don't anticipate. And as we were talking about this today, you see in the Old Testament, they were promised a Messiah to come and they were looking for him. And God made the situation really rough by the time Jesus got here, right? I mean, if, if you know anything about the Bible history at all, you know, we hear a lot about David and Solomon, and then we know they had a bunch of bad kings. We don't know much about their names. We don't know how coming and carrying them away. And the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, all of Israel gets spread over all the world. And for 400 years, God goes quiet. And he, through history in those 400 years, it comes to where Rome is ruling the world. There is a a Roman peace. It's a force peace. They've just conquered everybody so they can't fight each other because Rome's beat them all. And they're just sitting on top of the world now. And, and the people, though, the Israeli people, the Jewish people, are under a slavery of sorts, a political slavery, even though they're treated not let anybody rule themselves. But he let the Jews have a certain amount of their own court systems and those things, but they didn't have the power to put to death. That's why the 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 Sanhedrin had to go to the Roman officials to get permission to put Jesus to get to death, to get them to do it. But they allowed them a little bit of room, and but they were oppressed even by this political conqueror. And they're crying out for a deliverer. And, and if you read the New Testament at all, you see there are other Christs who arose. There are other people who claimed to be the Messiah or tried to lead a rebellion. But none of those things worked. And Jesus came along as a Messiah, and he didn't lead a rebellion Politically, he led a rebellion, changed people's hearts that destroyed Rome. Listen, if you want to change America, I'm not against politics. I think you ought to be, I think Christians ought to be involved in politics. I think church ought to be more involved in politics than ever before. It was the churches that created the United States. Listen, we hear a lot about uh, how we were founded in, in, in racism and slavery and, and all that stuff. The people who came here and settled this land were looking for freedom from oppression to worship God as they pleased. We were founded on the principle that people ought to worship God freely as they please. That's what America was founded on. Don't let people lie to you about the rest. Bad things happened? Absolutely. They should have happened? No. Did we get through it? Yes. And we don't do that anymore. Hopefully, got other problems. But here's my point, is that anticipation... For, for the Messiah was so great when the New Testament happens and Jesus comes. And it's this great joy. And the Bible promises that in the Old Testament. But it is in suffering that creates an even greater anticipation. Now I want to go ahead. You've heard the word hope defined. Let me give you just a quick English definition of the word hope. Because the way you and I use hope. Hey, are you going to see this movie coming out? Well, I hope so. Which means I don't know if I am or not. I don't have any definite plans for it. And maybe I'll get there. Maybe I won't. But I hope I get to. That's how we say it. I'm, it means, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, if I can. But the Bible word for hope, let's give you a quick English definition. It is an expected 
It's believing in an expected event. In other words, you know it's going to happen. Hope is, you already know it's going to happen, you just don't know when. And it's the trust in an expected event. And that's what is going on as they're waiting for the Messiah. And God finally fulfills that. They're excited. In the Old Testament, they're looking for the first coming. Why are we not so excited today? So, well, because Jesus already came. Yeah, but I don't know if you've read the Bible lately, but he's coming back. He's fixing to come back pretty soon. In fact, uh, keep your finger in Matthew. Look with me in 1 John. We had not even read the opening scripture yet, have we? I, I didn't think I'd get this quite excited this early, but I should have known better. First John chapter 3. And I love the first two verses, but I want to get us to the third verse. But I'm going to go ahead and read the first two. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And then verse 3 comes, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as Christ is pure. Or he is pure, it says, but that pronoun's referring back to Christ. In other words, my example I gave of anticipation that in our society is no longer held on to is the anticipation you and I ought to feel because Jesus is coming back. And listen, as long as everything's going good, as long as the right guy's in the White House, as long as I get my paycheck, as long as my house is not being repossessed, I still got my car, my kids are okay, and we're all okay, we don't think about the fact that we live in a fallen world of depraved men and women who need to know Christ. And that Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, we will give an account to him for all the deeds done in our body. Not an accounting for hell or heaven, but accounting of, I gave you the power of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. I lived inside of you and I lived inside of your church. What did you do with that treasure that I placed there? We hid it in the ground because we knew you were going to come back and demand where you did not sow and reap where you did not sow. And so we wanted to make sure we could at least give that back to you. And he says, you wicked, vile servant. I don't even know you. You you get it? We ought to have some hope. We ought to be every morning expecting Jesus to come. I'm not foolish enough to try to predict a day or a time. People, if anybody tells you they know when Jesus is coming back, you automatically know they've been inspired by the devil because God said we didn't get to know. Jesus said it just in Acts. One, he said, the Father's kept that for himself. I don't even know that. Now, I don't know if he knows it now or not. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I'm I'm not here to preach about that, but I'm just saying, any man who says he knows when Jesus comes back is a fool. Because you're claiming knowledge God said you may not have. But he said you can tell the season. Like I knew it was going to get cold eventually. Jason and them came so we could get it, I guess. But no, I'm just kidding. I was just teasing him before service. But listen, it's starting to cool off. Why? Because we knew it was coming. We didn't know what day it was going to start turning cold. But we knew it would. And guess what? It's going to turn warm again next year. And by the way, in case you were, you know... You, you, you believe in global warming and all. It's going to get warm again next year and then cold again next year. And that will continue until Jesus comes back. It will not change. He's coming back to this planet. It's going to still be here. And we'll still be living on it. Okay? It may be not me personally, but people. Well, anyway. So in the New Testament, we have the anticipation of the second coming. And the suffering that we go through makes us anticipate and desire that. 
And the Bible says in Timothy, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I wonder why we don't suffer much in this country. And the only answer I give is because we must not be purifying ourselves. We're not an offense to a sinful culture by living a godly life. You don't have to be ugly about it. You don't have to go tell them they're sinful. The Bible says they're condemned already. They know that. When you live a Christian life, they're going to get mad at you, going to say things about you and to you, and you can see that happening in some places to some people. Well, let me read what the Bible promises. Stand up with me, Matthew 12. Now that you've sat there and lulled you that back into sleep, I'm going to get you to stand up. In, in, in Matthew 12, and I put it there starting in verse 14. It doesn't seem to fit, but it says, it says but... The Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So Jesus knows that his time is coming, that they're out there looking for the way to kill him. And Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Now, in the Old Testament, it says nations. Isn't that wonderful that he is giving salvation to people that are not Jewish? See, in the Old Testament, they thought they were the only ones. They thought God had picked the Jews, and if you wanted to, be, to, to know God, you had to come through them. But God brought a bunch of people that weren't Jews into that, into that kingdom, right? And then, when Jesus came, we all got into that kingdom. But verse 19, he will not quarrel nor cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. He is our hope. He is our only hope. It's not in the White House. It's in God's house. You've got to understand that. That's not original with me, but I like the way it goes. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we see that we have hope in you and in you alone, we pray that this day, Lord, our minds would not be turned to the affairs of this world, that, that pull away our minds would be turned to thee, our only hope. And we cry out with King David, whom have I in heaven but thee? And on earth there's nothing I desire besides thee. Lord, we know that until you're all we have, we'll never understand that you're all we need. And so, Lord, I pray that we would seek to know you and to make you known to all the world. That, Lord, we would know you and not only the power of the resurrection, but in the fellowship of your suffering. Lord, we don't ask to suffer. But you said, you promised that we would have trouble in this world, that we would have tribulation. And so, Lord, may we look at every difficulty, every trial, every problem as one that draws us closer to you, makes us look more like you, and gives us more victory and more ability for the future. So help us, Lord, this day to understand the hope that is found only in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You can sit down. If you take anything away from him today, I hope you at least take this. That our only hope is found in God through Jesus Christ. That, I mean, there is no hope outside of that. You see, we live in the midst of a people that have no hope. Uh, in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, we find out that uh, there is an aloneness when we're separated from God. In Ephesians 2, uh, the Bible says this in verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is 
made in the flesh by hands. What he's saying is Jewish people were saying to the Gentiles, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Before Christ, you and I could not be in the commonwealth of Israel unless we went through a big old process, and then we could only be like proselytes. We weren't we weren't fully accepted for like seven generations. You had to be in there a long time before your kids would even be considered Jewish people. Now, a lot of people obviously went through that because of every race in the world, there are Jewish people. There, there is uh, African-American, or not African-American, African Jewish people. They are lifted out of Ethiopia in the 70s. And they're fully Jewish. And uh, they, they, there was an article about them this, uh, a couple of weeks ago celebrating uh, there. But we have no hope apart from Christ according to Ephesians 2. You cannot be in Christ or in God without Christ. You can't get there. I'll preach that last point in a second. There are people, not only are they alone, they are separated from God. Ezekiel 18 and, and verse 20. I, I didn't give you the scriptures today. That's my fault. Nobody else to blame but me. So I hope you write these down as I go. Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. Ezekiel 18. Listen to verse 20. The soul that sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. God gave us that to let us know that in the, in the days after Christ came, that God would not hold a dad guilty for the sins of his son, or a son guilty for the sins of his father. But everyone would stand before God in Christ alone. And if you came to God in Christ, you have his righteousness. And without him, you're separated from God. If you do not have the redemption of Christ, you will be punished for your wickedness. You're going to suffer for your own sin. And you say, well, I, I, I don't know. I, I think God is better than that. Well, I'll cover that in a second. But in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and, and this is very pertinent it's pertinent every year, but, but this past year in our church, we, we have seen many people uh, graduate and go, and go to heaven. And, 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 and some of their families are in here today. And, and this time of year is very difficult for, for you because it's the first time in maybe literally decades upon decades that, that you've gone through this season without the one you love. But, but Ephesians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 it's such a beautiful verse to me. It says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. We don't, we don't grieve like other people do. With separation, this is all we know. This is God put us in this world and these bodies to live in this world. And, and so this is all we know experientially. And so when we're separated by death, it... It hurts, and there's no other word for it. There's no words that makes that feel better. You just live through it and, and find God's comfort in the way that God brings comfort to you. But, but here's what the Bible says is he wants you to understand that, that you don't grieve as people who have no hope. There are people who have no hope. I, I, I think I've shared this before, but one of the bravest things I ever saw happen in the very first church I started pastoring when I was 19, very first church I ever pastored, and... I saw this family come to Christ. It was like the mom got saved. The mom's sister witnessed her and she got saved. And then her, 
uh, one of her, her daughter got saved and her son got saved and her other son got saved. And then there was one more boy and eventually, and her husband still wasn't saved. And then he got saved. And there was a, the baby boy had, before I left, never had come to know Christ. But that father, he was saved a couple of years and he passed away. And so he's there in the church. We had the funeral in the church and, and everybody's in there and they're crying. The family's up there crying. But that boy that didn't know Christ, his body, I mean, these were, these were large kids too, by the way. These men were like six, two or three, 200 plus pounds. And here I was little skinny me up there. And, and there's this big hulking young man and his body is just shaking. And I saw his mom with tears flowing down her eyes go up, lay her hand on his back and say, son, your brothers and your sister and I are going to see your dad again. But unless you give your life to Jesus, you'll never see him again. I said, that's the bravest thing I ever saw anybody do. I mean, she was weeping as she said it because she missed her husband so much. But she wasn't grieving as those who have no hope. And there are people all around us who have no hope. And you might be one of those people today. Where if the most precious thing you think you have is ripped from you, you feel like you have nothing. For the believer, we may feel that for a moment. And then we remember that I will never leave you or forsake you. That God is always with us. But there are those with no hope. And I think even, even in a more tragic way in that, that they're fooled into a false feeling of being okay, there are people who have a false hope. Proverbs 14, 12 there says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is the way of death. You see, there are people who are trusting in themselves. Isaiah 64, 5 says, all of our righteousness is like filthy rags in his sight. It says that we are, that, that people are trusting in themselves to be saved. People say, oh, I'm okay. I'm a good person. We've gone through the, the way of the master training here and and those who have been through it understand that people always think they're good. They're always good related to someone else, you know. Well, I'm better than that guy. I usually tell them, you're probably better than me. Because I know, you know, what a bad person I am. I know that I don't deserve heaven in and of myself. But some people think they're okay because they're, they're nice. They don't kick the dog. I, I, I heard the testimony of a guy that used to go to college campuses. I don't know if he may still do it. And, and he would be preaching there. He'd be telling them about Christ. And, uh, well, actually, this will cover a couple of them. Because some people, and I'll, I'll come back and tell you that in a second. Because here's another false hope. People have a false hope in religion. But I, I want to go back to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. Don't worry, I won't forget that illustration. I may have even said it. But Isaiah 1, 11, what is What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who's required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocation. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make any prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. God says, I'm sick of you and your religious actions without righteousness. We, you say, yeah, those poor people, they were so dumb. We just think somebody comes to church, they're okay. Well, I go to church. I believe in God. 
You're as good as a demon. The demons believe and tremble, the Bible says. I go to church every week. Well, I've been to Burger King a bunch, but I never turned into a whopper. <laughs> right? All this just religious action doesn't do anything for us. And people trust in themselves. They trust in their religious fervor. But here's the sad one. They trust in lies, false religions, ideas, and beliefs. In John 8, the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. He's been a liar from the beginning. And when he opens his mouth, he's lying that he is a liar. And, and Satan will counterfeit the acts of God to fool people so they think they're okay when they're really headed to hell. Because let me tell you, being a Baptist won't save you. Being whatever denomination you grew up in or think is the best or the one you like the most... That won't save you. Coming to church won't save you. Saying prayers won't save you. Reading your Bible won't save you. Giving away your money won't save you. The only thing that will save you is the blood of Christ shed on a cross for your sinful, wicked heart. You see, we do religious deeds and think that's good, but we forget it comes out of a black heart. You can't change your own heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Now, if you believe Hallmark and Disney, you ought to trust your heart. And I enjoy the Hallmark movies. I'll go ahead and admit it. I'm a man. I don't mind admitting it. I'll watch them. But they're lying. They make you feel good about stupid things <laughs> that aren't true. Our hearts are wicked and evil. And God has to give us a brand new heart. And we believe the lies of Satan because it fits the way we think because we don't have the mind of Christ yet. And it makes common sense. We, well, of course, yeah, I'm a good guy. I give away money. I do this. I'm, I don't kick the dog or yell at my wife. I'm a good man. I do kick the dog and yell at my wife. But I'm still going to heaven because I'm saved, you know. I got to repent of those two things. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying. And this is one I want to come back and then I want to use that same illustration. Ephesians 5, 6. People say, well, you know, God is a good God. He wouldn't send anyone to hell. Here's what Ephesians 5, 6 says. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. People who live the lifestyle that was described in the verses leading up to verse 6 of Ephesians 5. He says, the people who do these things will suffer the wrath of God. This young man that goes to the college campuses, he's up there talking about Christ being the only way. And a young lady over here, she says, I don't believe that. I believe everybody goes to heaven. He says, why do you believe that? She says, well, I'm Jewish. I believe God's good. And I believe everybody goes to heaven. And he said, oh, you're Jewish. She said, yeah. And he said, and you believe you're going to heaven? And she said, yeah. And you believe everybody gets to go to heaven because God is good? She said, yeah. And he, and he said, well, may I shake your hand? She, she's okay. And she starts shaking his hand. He said, I've always wanted to meet the person that was going to spend eternity in heaven with Hitler. And she jerked her hand away and said, he's not going. He said, oh, so there are qualifications. We're just disagreeing about what they are. Because there's the people that believe that God's so good he wouldn't send. But of course he's going to send Stalin to hell. Of course Lenin's going. You know, we know that Baghdadi and Osama bin Laden, they busted hell wide open. But I get to go to heaven because God's good. And he wouldn't send anybody to hell. Well, those guys, because they're really bad, but I'm not as bad as them. The Bible says you were just as bad when you were born as they were when they were born. And that all of us need a Savior who is the only one who is Christ, which brings me to we have a true hope. And that's where I hope you are.
We have a true hope. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must save. There is no name but Jesus where we must be saved. There is no other name given that you can call out and be saved. There is no other way. John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He didn't say, I know the way, I know the truth, I know the life. He said, I am he. When they asked Mohammed, what is the truth? He said, I don't know. Jesus said, I am the truth. Not I just know it, I am it. And if you know Christ, there is no other way. There is no other hope. There is nothing else we can cling to. For he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And listen to what it says to us in Romans chapter 15. And you can look there if you'd like to. Uh, several verses, two verses out of there. Romans 15. I've almost got it. Sorry. Finally. Romans 15 and verse 3 is the first one that I just want you to look at. I mean, they're all good. I'm just, I'm sorry, verse 4, not 3. In Romans 15, uh, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You see, we live in a fallen world and some days we feel like, is God even there? Is he paying attention? And the Bible says the Old Testament was written to see these saints who didn't even have the presence of, of the Holy Spirit like we do. And yet they endured. Now, the Holy Spirit came to them, but he didn't live in them like he lives in us. And, and, and he says these things are written that we can be encouraged, that we can endure in an in a, in a evil world and have the hope, the, the confident assurance that heaven is our home. And that is a good English definition of the word hope, a confidence assurance, a confident assurance. And, and, and in Romans uh, chapter 4 and verse 13, the Bible says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Remember, hope, love, joy, peace. We're going to look at those. And, and believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in, 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 because we know it's coming. We know that we are, we have a, a, an eternity with him. Look at Romans 12, 12. That's the other verse in Romans. I just, there's, listen, there are hundreds of verses. I went through, wrote down every verse in the Bible with the word hope in it, and it's a ton. All right? And I had to narrow it down to just a few. And Romans 12, uh, 12 says this. Rejoice in... Yeah, rejoice is the verb for the noun hope, right? Or noun joy, I mean. And so you got to do something with the joy. You rejoice and you rejoice in what? In hope. That's why... I started with hope. Be patient in tribulation. That means endure in tribulation. The word patient doesn't mean, oh, I can just relax and wait my turn. It, it, the biblical word for patience means, man, I dug a foxhole and I've dug in. And if they run over me, I'm not moving. I'm not changing. I'm going to stand my ground. That's what the b biblical word patience means. And so, so we rejoice in hope. We uh, in, endure uh, and we're patient in tribulation. And we are constant in our prayers. And that's the way you rejoice in hope and endure in tribulation is by constantly praying. If you don't pray, you're going to quit. You're going to faint. You won't have hope because you're not talking to the one that gives you hope. You, you don't know what he's saying to you. You're not telling him your needs. You're not listening to the word. You're not praying for his will to be done on earth as it's done in heaven and let you be a part of it, fulfilling his desire for the world. 
you got to pray constantly to have the hope, to have the joy, to have the endurance, to get through it. But we do have hope. That's the true hope. Because of Christ, he paid for our sin, and then he took up residence in us. In the New Testament, and if you read carefully as you read your Bible, you'll see there's two wheels on God's chariot. He, he set them to the woman at the well. He said, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and Spirit is the life body. My body is truth. Okay? My body has form, it has function, parts of it don't work well, but my body is but if you take out the life out of my body, will my body live? No. So I've, the 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 rejoicing, the praising, the spirit is what gives life to the structure. And some people got the structure and they're dead as a hammer. They're, they're right, but they're dead right. <laughs> and then there are people that, man, they, they're alive. They're, woo, glory. And listen, I don't mind that. I, I love getting excited about Jesus. But if it's not founded in truth, it's just room noise. Right? By the way, if, if this is too loud for you guys, we just came from First Baptist Roanoke. <clears throat> At the, our convention, our, our state homecoming, First Baptist. They have big old goldfish bowls on the outside of the auditorium filled with individually wrapped earplugs with a sign that says, For your hearing comfort. <laughs> In other words, if it's too loud for you and you don't like it, you can leave or get some earplugs. I thought, Wow, that's pretty bold, but that was there. I thought that was pretty awesome, actually. That was pretty neat. I love getting excited about the Lord. But if it's not based in truth, it's just exercise. Right? You say, well, I've been carrying that too far. Really? Jude says, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Truth and spirit. And over and over and over in the Bible, you've got to have both those things. And the truth is... That we can have hope, but only in Christ. But when Christ comes, man, we get joy. We get, we get endurance. We get all these great things from God. So this week, what can you do with this? Well, first of all, reject all your false hopes and all your own efforts. Cling to Christ. We're coming up to a time we celebrate His birth, even though He didn't tell us to do that. We do it anyway, because we love birthday cake, I guess. I don't know, but... Even though he didn't tell us to do it, we do it. We rejoice because Christ has come. They rejoice because Christ came because they were anticipating. They were looking forward to it. And it's kind of hard for us to get excited about anticipation. I like, re I'll watch reruns. My wife hates to watch something she's watched before. I'll watch it a thousand times if I like it. She'll say, why are you watching it when you can quote the whole thing? Because I like it. That's why I can quote the whole thing. It's just, we're, you know, all of us are different, but, but, but listen, so sometimes you may say, well, it's kind of hard to get all excited about Jesus coming the first time. Well, it, you, know, you ought to be excited about it because you'd be in hell if he didn't. So you ought to be able to look back and go, wow, that was a good day when Jesus came and he died for us. So reject the false religion and false effort and meditate on the fact that we had no hope. There was a time where we had no hope. I, I read out of Ephesians 2 earlier, but let me reemphasize verse 12 and 13 of Ephesians 2. 
I said, we were alienated. Remember, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. That's the Bible. Having no hope and without God in the world, verse 13, but. When a but appears, that means, yeah, that was true, but there's an answer. It negates it all. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Don't forget where you came from, and that leads into the third, which is tied to the two. Number two, trust and rest in the hope of Jesus Christ. Because that's the only hope we got. That's the only hope we have. And if he's not real, and if this isn't real, Paul said, we're of all men most miserable. My, my friend that I always say my best friend, his name is Trey. He had a couple of first cousins that were atheists. And Trey studied for the ministry. He was a pastor. He was a missionary. He's a pastor again. He, he died one Sunday at church. And God spared his life. He was the first man ever to have an exploded aorta, aorta that not only lived but can walk. The doctor said 100% of those who have this is only 1% who even survived that happening. 1% of people whose aorta dissects, splits, live. But out of everybody who lives, they're at least paraplegic, most of them quadriplegic, and he's walking around. And he has these cousins that are atheists, and before all that happened to him, he's a strong believer in Christ. And they said, why are you this way? And he said, you put your trust in what you see and touch and feel in sticks and stones. And I'm just crazy enough to put my hope in a promise of God that I've never seen, but because God promised it, I believe it's going to happen. That's what hope is. And I pray today you'll leave with that hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessings of this day. Oh, you are so awesome.